Welcome back to the New Legal Realism Podcast. For those of you who are just joining us, the New Legal Realism Project promotes rigorous and genuinely interdisciplinary scholarship on law in action, building from the law and society tradition. NLR focuses on developing better, more sophisticated translations between law and social science. This is especially important as law increasingly turns to social science for guidance in dealing with crucial legal and policy issues. On our previous podcast, we heard from Professor Michael McCann, who talked about his preface to the two-volume series on new legal realism, recently published by Cambridge University Press. He also discussed his perspectives on the new legal realism movement generally. Today, we'll be turning our focus to the second volume on studying law globally. The introduction to this volume was authored by Heinz Klug and Sally Engel-Mary. We have with us today Professor Heinz Klug to discuss this volume. Heinz Klug is a professor of law at the University of Wisconsin Law School and an honorary senior research associate in the School of Law at the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, South Africa. Growing up in Durban, South Africa, he participated in the anti-apartheid struggle, spent 11 years in exile, and returned to South Africa in 1990 as a member of the ANC Land Commission and a researcher for Zola Suiya, chairperson of the ANC Constitutional Committee. He was also a team member on the World Bank Mission to South Africa on land reform and rural restructuring. He also worked as a legal advisor after 1994 with the South African Ministry of Water Affairs and Forestry, as well as the Ministry of Land Affairs on water law and land tenure issues. Professor Klug has presented lectures and papers on the South African Constitution, land reform, and water law, among other topics. His research interests include constitutional transitions, constitution building, human rights, international land regimes, and natural resources. Professor Klug's book on South Africa's democratic transition, titled Constituting Democracy, was published by Cambridge University Press in 2000. As we talk to Professor Klug today, you may find it helpful to view a table of contents of the second volume, as well as abstracts of each of the articles. Those can be viewed at www.newlegalrealism.org backslash volume2.html. Again, that is www.newlegalrealism.org backslash volume2.html. Welcome, Professor Klug. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm wondering if you could start by just telling us a little bit about your work in general and how it connects with the new, new legal realism project. Sure. Um, I, my work is primarily uh, related it's in the in the general area of law and society, um, and I've uh, focused on um, constitutionalism in Africa primarily. Uh, it varies quite a bit between from property issues to human rights issues uh, to there issues of courts and constitutional courts in particular. So it's a fairly broad area uh, and generally focuses, though, on Southern Africa, the English-speaking uh, countries in Southern Africa and South Africa in particular, uh, given my own background there. How it connects with new legal realism is so uh, law and society is a, a broader movement that, uh, in fact, has its origins in part at the University of Wisconsin Law School. 
And uh, many of the colleagues that when I joined the law school in 1996, many of the colleagues that I met here were people who had been founders and early um, movers in the law and society tradition. And what was interesting is the law and society tradition as it built this relationship between uh, social scientists on the one hand and uh, lawyers on the other was a, a long-term project uh, that finds its roots in the kind of relationship between policy and law that Wisconsin uh, originally rep represented. And as this pro project's gone forward, uh, law and society initially made breakthroughs into other law schools so that you know most law schools in the United States today have somebody or a couple of professors who are interested in law and society or engaged in the, the kind of agenda of law and society more generally, but it's remained, at least within the law schools, fairly marginal. And I think the reason it's remained marginal in the law schools is that uh, the social science bent, the, the requirement of uh, you know, the, the training that social scientists have is not a training that lawyers get. And so it was easier yeah. for many law school lawyers to go in the direction of law and economics, which are in its crudest forms were issues like uh, cost-benefit analysis and didn't require much more, uh, although they are much more sophisticated versions of that, obviously. And... Um, the kind of aversion of lawyers to numbers, uh, to, to math generally, I think uh, meant that this, this distance remained between um, empirical, uh, rooted social science and um, the lawyers and the law profession generally. It's in that mm -hmm. context that um, the new legal realism tries to reconnect with that uh, tradition of legal realism uh, that emerges in the early 20th century in the United States, which questions the historic um, basis of uh, legal analysis just in doctrine and says there's more going on than just doctrine, that in order to understand how law works in the world and in fact how to advance the, uh, the legal cause is to understand uh, the institutions within which law operates to understand the way in which uh, uh, law works in different contexts uh, and not just in terms of the, 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 the doctrine on paper. And it's in that context that uh, legal realism had grown with originally in the law, in the law and uh, law and society was in many ways a kind of development of that. But the issue really becomes eventually that the connection between uh, law and society, the, the, the study of what law does in the world, and the work that lawyers do on a daily basis, uh, which is the tr what has been trained for in law school, uh, becomes further and further apart. And so uh, law and society uh, no, was no longer having uh, that kind of uh, immediate resonance in the law schools and the debates within the law schools about law where the sense was that the kind of normative dimensions of law were not being uh, um, taken on board as much by law and society. And so it's within that kind of context that um, particularly Beth Mertz at the University of Wisconsin Law School and, and others started thinking about how to reintroduce in a way uh, law and society into the law schools. Uh, in a way that the, the traditional uh, concerns about law as an autonomous 
area can be considered. And I think it's that's the connection that new legal realism tries to make between the very valuable interdisciplinary social science understandings of what law does in the world and the recognition that law in its own right, uh, in its construction of norms and in its uh, uh, way in which it functions internally, has an independent and autonomous relationship to how it works in the world. It's that interconnection that new legal realism focuses on. You co-authored the introduction to the second volume, uh, Studying Law Globally. I'm wondering what attracted your interest in doing that. Well, I suppose the, the first thing is I was drawn, I, I work mainly in this kind of more global uh, um, world of law, because I study law in Africa uh, primarily, but also um, I've studied how law works internationally. And so um, with my colleagues, uh, you know, as um, Professor Mertz was working on this area, she approached me and would I be interested in to working on the global, in, in relating this to global law. Um, basically, new legal realism understands that U.S. law itself has always been engaged with law globally. It's, it's not separated, uh, but it would be useful in order to be seen as the, the, the volume, the first volume in particular, was focusing on law schools and, and law in the United States to make sure that that interaction was uh, brought into the project. And that's what interested me in the project. And also was the extraordinary opportunity to work with uh, uh, Sally Mary, who's a predominant law and society person, who's an anthropologist, and it's to try and make that interconnection between law and um, other disciplines real. That Sally Mary has this notion of translation, uh, which is really central to the way we think about new legal realism the translation between uh, the study of law as empirically and the way in which law actually works in, within the legal context itself. I'm wondering if you can take us through your introduction and explain for a general audience what your comments are on the collection of articles in the volume. Um, well, the introduction begins by, uh, first of all, highlighting the fact that uh, law and justice in the 20th century, in the 21st century, really requires us to understand uh, how law manifests itself across cultures, uh, across institutional arrangements and economic contexts. And it, it was that you know, broader understanding of how law works in the world that uh, this volume was dedicated to try and uh, um, present. It also then talks about how... Uh, exactly what new legal realism might mean. Uh, are we, Alexander Hanais, one of our colleagues at the University of Wisconsin Law School, uh, put it in these wonderful terms that um, social legal scholarship created by law professors um, could be, you know, could be seen in a number of different ways uh, in terms of mm -hmm. new legal realism. Uh, in her words, as a gamer adopts an avatar to enter a virtual world, Law and Society scholarship appears in the legal academy as new legal realism, an identity arguably better suited to the mores and palace wars of that particular world. In other words, 
uh, law and society within the law school debates internally is understood much better in terms of this idea of new legal realism. And that's one approach. But she also points out that another way to think about it is that um, new legal realist scholars are using these different empirical methods and in order to understand the practice of law. And the lawyers in law schools are drawing on these different methods of uh, that, that exist in sociology, in economics, in anthropology, and without critically understanding that in each of these fields, the actual methodologies, the, the fields themselves have their own understandings of the world. And if we just draw on them and bring them in without translating them into law, we are just incorporating those debates without really understanding them. And so the importance of translation, of understanding exactly uh, what we're doing when we're using these different methods within uh, the law. The introduction then talks about how we have uh, broken the book into these four specific um, areas. Um, the idea is that the, in order to you know, deal with this question, this broader question of uh, how we would study law globally, uh, the first section looks at the globalization of law. Uh, in other words, how law has uh, gone beyond national borders, how it's seen uh, internationally, um, but also how that is rooted very locally. So we, we, that, that section cont contains um, issues of constitutionalism uh, and questions the idea of this global constitutionalism being from the top down. And Martin Chanik in his piece on African constitutionalism from the bottom up looks at how uh, constitutions have to relate to what's going on within a society and can't just and parachute down, that, that that's not going to work. Um, Sally Mary, you talks about uh, human rights monitoring, um, and again, that much broader approach to understanding how human rights are, are working in the world, and particularly how in these international realms, um, different uh, methodologies are used to, to measure and to promote particular perspectives of the world. Uh, and Susan Sell's piece on intellectual property uh, looks at how intellectual property rules are, are not natural, they weren't there always, but were part of a particular political um, process and how they come out of a particular campaign even among the industries that are particularly rich in intellectual property and how those industries combine within the United States to promote internationally a particular normative version of intellectual property. The second section uh, talks about the transfer of norms, the global transfer of norms. And in that section, uh, Carol Heimer and Jamie Morse uh, talk about their really amazing project where they look at the very micro-relationships between uh, medical workers um, in the field in different clinics around in, in Thailand, in South Africa, in the United States, and, and Uganda, and look at how those, in those contexts, um, the way in which research is, is developed, the relationship between the local um, medical staff and international uh, researchers, 
and and how that gets uh, shaped by the the work that's been done and by these uh, uh, norms that are transferred internationally. Uh, Mark uh, Fanti Masood, in his piece on the politics of Islamic law and human rights in Sudan, talks about these rival legal systems and how they are, are, are functioning and are used by the authorities in Sudan, but also by people who are challenging these authorities. And that interaction um, is something which is, it transfers norms in very different ways in different contexts. And finally, in that section, uh, Sindiso Nisi Weeks, a South African scholar, uh, talks about um, how women seek justice at the intersection between um, state law and indigenous law in courts in the rural part of South Africa. And so these are, are very local studies that show how norms actually are developed uh, both locally and internationally and how they interact. In the third part of the, the book, in, in, in described in the introduction, talks about global institutions and the changing roles of judges and lawyers. And so it tries to understand how um, new legal realism uh, can look at that much wider uh, process and not the local, not the way in which norms go from the global and the, and, and the local and how they interact, but rather how institutions work in this transnational realm and how institutions move across boundaries. And looking at uh, Greg Schaefer talks about in terms of trade law, uh, Sol Pichiotto, talks about how uh, the, uh, the offshore, the, the, fun, the financial um, institutions, the, the tax-free zones, etc., were created over time, uh, supposedly beyond the jurisdiction of, of, of the uh, states in which the, um, where people are trying to get tax holidays from. And extraordinary work because uh, Pichotto's piece is written before the Panama Papers come out, and the Panama Papers just reveal exactly this uh, structure that he was talking about. And uh, Sida Lu, uh, a Chinese scholar uh, working in the United States, uh, now in Canada, talks about the changing roles of uh, lawyers in China and the relationship between state lawyers and um, lawyers that are, are moving beyond the state and how that, again, uh, is engaged with uh, global law firms and uh, the way China is positioning itself in relation to the world. The final section uh, focuses on global justice. Um, so if, if we think of these four sections, um, the one is looking at how, you know, how law globalizes, the other the transfer of norms, and the third one, these, the institutions. And the fourth one steps back and, and thinks about this in terms of, well, how is global justice being promoted? And it does it through looking at the uh, struggle specifically over between the amnesty and truth commissions versus um, accountability for international crimes and the tensions in, in that particular realm as well as uh, the piece by Alexander Hernaeus, who which focuses on the Inter-American Court and talk, shows how the Inter-American Court as an international court is able to use um, the, 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 its relationship with uh, the states in order to try and promote 
the decisions, get states to be responsive to these international decisions and this international institution. And it's it's a way in which global justice has been constructed uh, in this tension between, on the one hand, uh, notions of transitional justice getting beyond conflict, and on the other hand, accountability. And Richard Wilson focuses down more specifically to um, the whole way in which within these international uh, cases, uh, various conceptions of justice are developed, uh, and he focused specifically on the idea of causation in international law and how it relates to this, the idea of the incitement to commit genocide that comes out of the Rwanda um, International Court for Rwanda. So it's often hard for lawyers and policymakers to see the value in and the need for attending the scholarly research and articles. How would you address this, both in terms of your own work and in terms of research in your area generally? I think that this, this is a very important question, particularly uh, from the perspective of law schools, because uh, after all, uh, law schools are, are based producing lawyers, and many lawyers go into policy making. Um, but exactly, you know, what is the relationship between scholarship and practice of law? And you know, the one argument is, of course, uh, by scholarship, uh, we're trying to understand the world more. And uh, this understanding is important for anybody who's who's actually trying to do things in the world. New legal realism, I think, tries to draw these together and make the point that um, only by understanding how law actually functions in the world, uh, but not treating that purely as a theoretical idea, but trying to tie it to the institutions and to the, the normative struggles of lawyers within their professional roles that one in a, uh, will encourage uh, lawyers and policymakers to look to this kind of work as a way to help them develop their own ideas. Um, I think the idea of new legal realism is to make it clearer to practicing lawyers and to policymakers exactly how legal norms are being formed in their practices and how uh, the context within which law exists shapes those possibilities. And that should be of immense interest to both uh, practicing lawyers and policymakers uh, because essentially it will help them be clearer about the impacts of what they're actually doing. And uh, mm-hmm. they may want to shape their own actions in order to enhance those impacts uh, or to avoid the pitfalls that might come from not understanding the context in which any particular set of rules are being advocated for or advanced. Uh, You know, one only has to think in in very broad terms of um, this major major project of trying to uh, give constitutions uh, to countries and, and how that has failed again and again and again, because unless there's a way in which the, it's understood how the institutions of constitutionalism and how the norms of constitutionalism interact with the local society and that, that engagement and is embraced by uh, local institutions and local communities, uh, it just becomes a, a hollow uh, kind of presentation of what might be but doesn't actually impact the world. So in your view, what does the New Legal Realism Project have to offer, and where would you like to see it go in the future? 
I think the New Legal Realism Project offers a conversation within both between uh, lawyers and social scientists, but also institutionally between within the law schools and between law schools and uh, legal studies programs and, and social scientists who are studying how law actually works in the world and enhances this relationship and, and gives us a space in which to have this conversation uh, so that um, we, we can build these relationships uh, understand when we, in law, are deploying social science methodologies or when social scientists are, are thinking about law, that they also understand the normative dimensions of what is going on within law and in the practice of law. Uh, what lawyers bring to the table is, is that they understand legal practice uh and the consequences of, of, of how a legal cases evolve and, and work and what social scientists bring to the table is you know, the method the methods and the capacity to understand uh the, the impacts of law in, in in the longer frame. I mean where I'd like to see this go in the future is that uh, we continue to maintain um both in the law schools and uh across the social sciences, across the different fields, a very strong relationship. Um, the Law and Society movement provides a space for that, and the new legal realism is a, a vein within that that just emphasizes the, the particular role that lawyers might play. I'd like to thank Francis Tung and the many researchers who are collaborating on this new legal realism project and for working to make this podcast happen. Visit NLR at www.newlegalrealism.org or on the blog at newlegalrealism.wordpress.com where new legal realists post on everything from law to the latest in jazz. You can also email us at newlegalrealism at gmail.com. So if you have any interview questions that you would like to submit to us as we move through interviewing the various authors of the recent volumes, please feel free to do so. This is April Faith Slaker with the New Legal Realism Project. Thanks for listening.